Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Wednesday Burns. I'm a counterpart, Save by Morris. How's it going, man? Going pretty good, man. How's everything? Going pretty good. And we have a lot of topics to get into um, today, as usual. And to start off with, with the first half, we're going to have a, a few NFL topics, also some NBA topics in the second half, where we'll have our one item in review. And started off with just our Super Bowl recap thoughts and just how dominant of a performance Tampa Bay put against the Chiefs and you know also just did this win say more about the Chiefs or the uncharacteristic struggles of um um just what was what we never see from Kansas City in a type of game like this um Tampa Bay just had a completely dominant 31 to 9 win and um they corrected just so many of their defensive mistakes from week 12 Brady was just you know crisp and efficient as usual in a Super Bowl for 21 of 29 with um 31 yards and three touchdowns and the, one of the biggest things we saw from this game was how pressured Mahomes was. Offensive line struggles, um, a key that really came into fruition for this game, and he was intercepted twice and just failed to throw a touchdown pass for only the fourth time in his career. But kind of like what were your overall thoughts on this just completely dominant performance from the Bucks, and if the attention should be more on what they were able to do or what the Chiefs can do? If it's one time you should be – perfect around the board it's the super bowl and the Tampa bay buccaneers yeah. did just that hats off to todd bowles the, the defensive coordinator who put a, a great game plan is a great young quarterback who just won a super bowl last year so he knows w- what to expect you would think and then todd bowles bring in a game plan that no other <laughs> can, can, can go against and then when you yeah. have two left left and right tackle that are backups and the the starters are injured that gives way to your your defensive end to be able to get to the quarterback. They pressured him from the first quarter to the end of the, <laughs> the end of the fourth. So high off the J, I mean not JT Barrett, but uh, Barrett, uh, J, mm-hmm. Jason Pierre-Paul, Ghostin, Adamakin Sue, the secondary. Those guys play phenomenal. Devin White, uh, Levante, David, man, those guys were flying around the ball. Devin White, whoa, man. I, that 4-4 comes in handy every now and again. Put on a show. Because he was flying around the ball. Yeah, he was. He was intuitive. He was reading the plays. He was like, he was everywhere. And when your defense looks like that, it reminded yeah. me of uh, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense when they won the Super Bowl eons ago with Warren Sapp, Derek Books, Rondé Barber. Uh, it's a lot that that defense was stacked to the T. And it just reminded me of that. And then Tom Brady was Tom Brady. He looked, he looked good. Tyron Matthews said something yeah. wrong to him. It, it, it clicked something. He said something wrong. Said something wrong, Said something wrong, wrong to him. And then he took <laughs> off. He did Marked up the wrong tree. <laughs> and then Gronk had two touchdowns. Like, it was just crazy. Everything looked good. Everything. Antonio Brown had well a touchdown. Polished. Yeah, everything looked polished. They, If it's time to be perfect, is is in a Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, from throughout the season, we had talked about just they looked inconsistent. You know, for for so many times, it, it just didn't seem as though that the the, the pieces w- w- would fit. And now, when you look at this run that they that that they've had, like they come into it as a wild card team. Brady beats Drew Brees on the road, Aaron Rodgers on the road, and the and Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Like in terms of just some of the best runs you've seen a quarterback have in a Super Bowl run, like it, it, does this go up in terms of just like some of the top runs you've seen in a playoff performance? in terms of just the quarterbacks that he beat, because like he really went through a litany of just elite quarterbacks to get to his seventh Bowl ring. Of course. And then when you when you leave a team you've been with for years and some uncertainties, 
You don't know if you, I know he didn't want to retire, but everybody was like, oh, he might retire. Who's going to pick him up? Who's going to believe in him? And then you have Bruce Aarons, who was retired at, at, at the moment. And then he came back well, a, a couple of years later because his mom, we found out because his mom told him to come back, which is a great story. Um, yeah. But when you when you go through that, it's so much uncertainty. And, and with the team, now those pickups with Leonard Fournette, that was a great pickup, great pickup for Gronkowski. Uh, O.J. Howard went down. So that's one of his young uh, best tight ends. Mike Evans was was hurt during the season uh, periodically. Uh, run game was kind of iffy. Defense played good at spurts. They was in, it was inconsistent at the big games. Uh, how exactly how they beat the Packers and turn around and get whooped by the Saints. And I, I remember saying yeah. that if they figure it out, if they can stay consistent, things will be good. And it's a lot. They had a lot of ups and downs, especially Tom Brady. He had couple of games we had three interceptions a couple of games he, he didn't have any touchdowns so f- for him to come and go on his journey and to be on top and say we're going to win a super bowl before you even step on the football field man that's greatness man. yeah and, and look at the offseason look at the offseason they had no otas no preseason i mean everything if there was a year where okay like brady could have a, a gap year or just like hey like let's at least get to the playoffs it could have been this year but they overachieved greatly and the talent that they had just like meshed perfectly. Right. And without OTAs, without training camp, those are the days, those are the times where you build that chemistry, when you build that rapport with other football players, you could tell every person in the locker room bought into Bruce Aaron's uh, a vision mm-hmm. and Tom, Tom Brady. It was like, well, we got Tom Brady. Tom Brady already got six rings. He told, he told yep. God, well, look, man, you give me your Jersey. I bet we get I a super promise ring. you. I promise you. Promise you get a Super Bowl. <laughs> you got a Super Bowl. Yeah. Some of these guys, some of these guys, rookie year got a Super Bowl. So it's like it's crazy how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl in Tampa. Mm. Some people said it was death. Storybook ending. Storybook ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And looking ahead, also for for next season, you know, Mahomes and the Chiefs. Like, even though like this was a disappointing end for them, not getting you know. Winning back-to-back Super Bowls is very tough. It's, it, there's a reason it hasn't happened since the 04 Patriots, and you know, it was shown um, that that Super Bowl night. And then also you look with what Tampa Bay, like they're going to try to come back and, and reload uh, with Brady. They, they saw some free agents that could possibly make changes or stay along for another run. To you, in terms of just looking at these two teams, do you think there's a likelihood that there could be a rematch, or do you see a scenario where one team has a better chance to get back here next February? I think both teams have a chance to get back. You, you you look at what Bruce Harris said right after the game, and Mike Evans said, uh, I'll, I'll take a pay cut to keep these some of these guys. Because Leonard Fournette contract is up. He was just he came over, his contract is up. I think there's a couple guys on the defense. I think JC Ball has renewed his contract, some guys on the offense. So you have guys that want to pay take pay cuts so they can continue to do this. You already that's that's a that's a mindset you can't pay for. You know what I mean? Like it has to be. Yeah. Like genuine, these guys want to keep coming back. And then you look at the Chiefs, man. They still have the formula to win. Now, if they they draft, they draft some offensive linemen or get some veteran guys in there that will protect. Because I've never seen the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line look like that. Like every single Ever. offensive lineman, from left tackle to right tackle to the center, who's the leader on that O line, mm-hmm. everybody looked terrible. Everybody looked slow, sluggish. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know play calls. It was literally backyard football. 
And I think if they fix those yeah. elements and the secondary gets a little better, then they'll be back. Because Patrick Mahomes is a star. They have they have a good running game. They just got to fix some couple of things. But both teams has the definitely has the capacity to go back for sure. And I mean, every great quarterback has a a, a tough, an extremely tough loss they have to look back on and grow from. And I think with Mahomes, this the only quarterback he's ever lost to in the postseason has been Brady. And there's also there's there's somewhat of a narrative that oh, like maybe this show that he's not as good as he possibly could be. I still think he's a great quarterback. Like. Did this like loss tell you anything about him or just the fact that these things happen and sometimes you just have to reload for the next season and grow from a an extremely tough Super Bowl loss? And that's that's an interesting question. What what did <laughs> what else could he do? Literally, that's what I'm saying. What else, that's what I'm saying. What it, it, it's like he was running for his life the entire game. You look at the NFL films highlight reels, it just was kind of like the, the Buccaneers receivers were just like astounded, even though like, you know, he, he was having a rough game. The passes that he was still pulling off while the offensive line was just breaking down was, was still spectacular. And you could tell the frustration on his face when you snap the ball. I can't even read through my pro first progression because you have like four progressions mm -hmm. that he has to look through and then a check down. So if I can't even look through my first progression without having to run, <laughs> for my life. Yeah. What else can I do? And I'm making crazy throws. He made like six or seven crazy throws just off my memory. So mm -hmm. I don't understand what else Patrick Mahomes could have did. He didn't give up. He kept going. He was making crazy throws. He, you know, after the game, he said somebody's off his alignment, but during the game, he didn't blow up. He didn't have a, have a scene. He was professional. You know what I mean? He did everything by the book. I'm con glad he's still a consummate, uh, still a consummate professional, still a consummate professional after the game. Of course. Yeah. He said, yes, yeah, my, my offensive line, let some people in. That's, that's being honest. If, if I, I'm coming yeah. from own lineman, if I know my court, if I didn't block good for my quarterback, I want him to tell me that. Say, say it. So it won't be like, oh, oh no, guys, it's cool. Like, you know, nah, this is a Super Bowl. <laughs> we look like crap in the Super Bowl. <laughs> so for Patrick Mahomes, I'm glad he lost so he can know that feeling early. Because it's hard to yeah, get back. Here. It's hard to continue to win. Now you know what it went, needs to win. Now you see how Tom Brady does his. Because mm -hmm. Tom loses in yeah. the Super Bowl sometimes. But you think that it deteriorates his mindset? I'm coming back. And Tom so has never lost, gotten now the thing from this. Thing about Brady, the thing about Brady is crazy. He's never gotten blown out in a Super Bowl. Even with even with the Giants losses, like no. he was still down to the wire. The Eagles, it's crazy because he's almost he's just never out of a game. The Falcons is, is the Falcons win is just the no. it's the epitome of that. Even when they were up twenty eight to three, I still felt like it was crazy. I still feel like there was just a lot of time in that game. People just had ridden them off, and it's just it's it's never out of reach for him. No, not well, at all. Um, no. And I think yeah. that's why... Oh, good. No, uh, keep, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> no, I'm saying... When, that's <laughs> why it's the game is not over until the clock says zero, zero. It's zero, zero. Zero, zero. It's always so... <laughs> yeah, zero, zero. It, it, it is not over to that. So Tom Brady always has a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, listening to uh, just thoughts on J.J. Watt's release from the Texans and and what the future will hold for uh, eventually for Deshaun Watson. Um, this past Friday, uh, Watt announced that he'd been asked for and been granted his release by Texans ownership. This ends uh, a 10-year run for him overall with the Texans. And um, you also have 
Deshaun Watson situation currently, this is one of the biggest storylines in, in the offseason um, for the NFL. And the Texans are, are just an organization that now he clearly does not want to play for. Um, J.J. Watt right. even said that they wasted some of his prime years, and, and Watson also has a no-trade uh, clause in his contract. Um, one of the teams that have been mentioned heavily as a front runner is the Dolphins. Um, that could change, you know, maybe the hierarchy of the AFC if he could possibly go there. Um, they've got, you know, picks and cap space. Um, but do you kind of like, what are your thoughts on J.J. Watt's departure and also Deshaun Watson's future as currently constructed and also what's the possible best fit for him? Because recently with what Houston, the run that Houston's been on in terms of just like losing a lot of their great players at DeAndre Hopkins last season, um, this is really just a different type of directional um, guide for them in these past couple seasons. You know, something's going on in this organization um, that everybody wants to get out. Something's not right. Like you said, J.J. Watt told Deshaun Watson, yeah, man, we wasted, you know, sorry, we wasted one of your years, your prime years. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when someone says that on camera, doesn't care who's around him, and something is up with this organization. And if Andre Johnson, one of the alums from, <laughs> from, from Houston, says, yo, you need to get out of there. You need to do what you got to do. This is what happened to me. Then something, something's up. But for, for Deshaun Watts, I think a perfect fit would be the Dolphins. I think he could go in and immediately yeah. uh, bring a spark they're looking for. I think Miami Dolphins don't want to um, baby uh, Tua. I think Tua still has some growing to do as a starting NFL quarterback. It's um, as simple as things like throwing your wide receiver open instead of waiting for him to get open. And uh, we've seen that all last year. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of commentators mentioned that. So when, I think Deshaun Watson would fit good there because it's similar styles. I think they both have the same arm. I think Deshaun Watson can be uh, accurate, super accurate at times. So I think he fits there for J.J. Watt released. Come on to Green Bay. And I've, I'm hearing stories every time I dive into it and uh, look and research. We are in the front runner for J.J. Watt to, to land because um, – yeah. Bakhtiari is going to take a pay cut and some other guys are going to take a pay cut so he can come. So if we land him, man, I'm going. <laughs> Thank you, Houston. Go bonkers. Thank bonkers. Go no, bonkers. Because <laughs> our defense really just got even better with um, with uh, Smith brothers. <laughs> so Darius Smith and Preston Smith. And you mm -hmm. add J.J. Watt because he can move around on that line too. In with Kenny Clark. So I'm just excited if he does go and come back home to Wisconsin. But um. Yeah, man, it's something wrong with that organization, Deshaun Watson. I don't think they grant Deshaun Watson his release. I think they're going to force his hand to, to stay, though, uh, with Houston, Texas. But for I think so, too. it's over with. I think he, I hope he comes to Green Bay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and also recently big news uh, this past, um, I believe it was this past Thursday, um, Carson Wentz uh, agreed, uh, Carson Wentz was traded. Um, to the Colts in exchange for a 2021 third round pick and also conditional 2022 second round pick um, that could turn into a first. And for the Colts, like, you know, they were in the postseason, you know, Philip was Philip Rivers, turned out to be Philip Rivers last season, you know, we're in a wild card game against the Bills, a kind of a tight one. And now for the Eagles, ever since that Super Bowl win, they, they've kind of just been a, you know, a mediocre team just trying to get postseason berth um, and, and just, you know, very like sub subpar type of years. In terms of just what this trade could mean for the Colts and what Carson Wentz could possibly, you know, maybe have a comeback here. Maybe this could be a comeback here for him. I really think it could be with a new system. 
Um, what do you, what kind of stands out to you in particular for this trade um, for both teams? The potential. I think Carson Wentz still has a lot left in his tank. Yeah. I mean, injuries kind of plagued him a little bit, but we've seen the Houdininess <laughs> that Carson Wentz possesses. Holly yeah. sawed out of um, at North Dakota, so uh, it's it's he still has those intangible things, intangible things as a quarterback you're looking for. But when you when injuries play, you know they play a role. But I think he can flourish. I think the offense with the Colts look really good, even with an old Phillip Rivers who just retired. Um, and the defense looked good, led by Leonard. Um, still a young linebacker who's who who goes wall to wall. They were eleven and five last year. I think they could go back to being an eleven and five team um, this year coming up with Carson Wentz because if he's completely yeah. healthy, I think he brings an element to a mobile element to the Colts' offense as well as extended plays, um, giving giving defense. Because when you when you when you uh, study for Phillip Rivers. It's not much you, you know what I'm saying, you could be like worried about, <laughs> to be honest with you. Not taking anything from <laughs> Phillip Rivers. He's a good quarterback. Yeah. But with Carson Wentz, you got to add in the mobility, the extending plays, um, him, uh, you know, doing certain things that make safeties go, like looking off of safety and doing like not forcing throws. Carson Wentz does not force throws uh, most of the time. But Phillip Rivers, oh, you best believe he's going to force at least five, 10 throws <laughs> for sure. So it's just that different element he brings to up. <laughs> Guaranteed he's going to force throws. And that's, I mean, when you're a veteran, you'll be like, well, somebody's out there. I don't really care who, if I throw an exception or not, I want to make a, try to make a play for my team. But I think he, Carson Wentz is bringing a different element. Um, I think it's going to be a comeback game if he's completely healthy. And I think in, they want to trade for him if he wasn't. So they're, they're willing to give him that opportunity. And just to point out, they do not believe in Jacob per se. <laughs> Oh, not at all. Not at all. If you want a big takeaway, if you want a big storyline, if you want a big takeaway, a big storyline, there it is for you. That's not they that's not their guy. Not. That is not No. Guy. He's a free agent, by the way. <laughs> yep. Poor Brissette. You know, could possibly be on the move, which I think you yeah. would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's> definitely true. <laughs> definitely true. Um, but uh, now transitioning to the NBA and, and just um, thoughts on AD, um, AD, uh, Anthony Davis's Achilles injury and just the impact on that for the Lakers and also just the overall championship race. Um, after missing two games with, with the week before the sore Achilles, Anthony Davis strained his uh, half in a loss to the Nuggets on Sunday. And um, now recently, even more recent updates, he's going to be out for four weeks um, due to that, uh, that calf strain. And, yeah. you know, the situation that could possibly be used as a parallel is KD when, you know, he came back early from a calf injury and then tore his Achilles in the finals. And mm-hmm. recently the Lakers lost to the Nets by 11. Um, you know, the, the Nets offense is still just, even with just Kyrie and um, and James Harden, I'm still at an extremely efficient performance. And mm-hmm. um, this is a, could possibly be a team that they could see in the finals if AD comes back healthy and they can get back to that form. But just kind of what are your thoughts on this injury for AD and also just, the long-term implications for the Lakers as for him and the Lakers, as this is a still a really good team, but without him, you know, they're just not the same championship caliber type of team. Hmm. You know what? I'm glad it might sound weird. I'm glad he had the injury now rather than later, mm. right before all-star break. So you have that extra time to, to, to rehab and get yourself back willing to make sure because you know some some organizations, <clears throat> excuse me, some organizations uh, pressure the doctors to be like, okay, you, you're good, you can play. 
And um, we, we've seen that multiple times, even with uh, Kevin Durant. We don't want the same thing to happen to him just to injure himself more. But I, I'm, I'm glad it did happen All-Star break. It's, I mean, you, you're still top three in the West. Uh, can those guys go go the distance? I mean, or go to the playoffs and make a good playoff run without AD? Of course. Can they win without AD? And go to the NBA Finals? I don't think so. So I'm glad it happens now. They can withstand. They can, you know, hold on until AD comes back. But I'm glad it did happen, you know, right before All-Star break. But now transitioning to uh, AD's Achilles injury and just the impact it can have on the Lakers and, and just the overall title race. Um, obviously, this past Thursday, they lose to the Nets by 11. Um, it, it just recent reports came out that he's going to be out for four weeks. And obviously, this is a, still a very good team um, without him, but not a championship caliber team. And they're going to have to face teams possibly like the Nets in the finals. Um, and they're going to need him to be at 90%, 90 to 100% to like still have a a chance to repeat. Um, but what are kind of your early thoughts on just the, you know, this injury happening before the all-star break, not in April or, or, or late March and just kind of like what it, the long-term implications it can have as you've seen players like Katie have injuries like this and it, you know, not hand, not handled or managed well. I think when it comes to having other veteran guys on your team, when one guy goes down, there's the next man up. And I think when you have LeBron James as your leader, and as a guy who's been in a situation when he had to, they had to trade their whole entire team away, they had guys injured in the, the finals, you make a, you find a way to win. And I think they can find a way to win without AD for the time being. But now when it gets down to the nitty gritty, they're going to need AD to be full, full blown healthy when it comes to going to the NBA finals and making a run for uh, back to back champions. So, uh, can they withstand without him for the time being? Yes. And I'm, I'm glad it happened. And I know this kind of sounds weird. I'm glad it happened right before the break, uh, all-star break. So he gives that extra time to rehab to make sure, because, you know, some doctors and organizations want to rush players back because one, they're, <laughs> they're an investment and, and fans want to see them play and they want to be able to be at their best to, to, yeah. to win a championship. So, but in this case, we don't want another KD. We don't want what, what happened to KD to happen to AD. Um, but I think for the time being, LeBron James and, and company can can handle things without even with the eleven year. Yeah, they for can sure. Still, they can still hold it down. They can hold they it. They can down. still hold it down with, with, without him to stay in that top three ranking. Right. Around and, the and, yeah, I think with LeBron, I think they'll probably move up the lineup a little bit, move some players around, and, and get a, a a good lineup that can you know beat any team. Even with the 11, 11 point loss against Brooklyn Nets, I mean it's Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> So uh, they, they got a high bar offense, a different yeah, team. It's a different team. It's a Atlanta, different type so. of team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to thoughts on Andre Drummond's trade value and just where he could end up next. Um, Drummond is currently one of the better centers in the league, and any team that will get him will be getting, um, you know, a two-time All Star who's averaged seventeen point five points and also fifteen point one rebounds. Um, only Moses Malone has averaged um, more rebounds during that stretch from, you know, 77 to 78 and also 80 to 81, including his mm -hmm. first MVP season. season. And for, particularly for the Cavs, the defense of rebounding has been an issue for them. And, you know, the main challenge for this trade is going to be able to match his salary to get him via trade. Um, the Raptors, Celtics, and Nets are teams that could, you know, use uh, an elite type of center. Um, but kind of like, what are your thoughts on the trade value for Andre Drummond and what contending need? The contending teams need him the most um, as this is uh, him sitting out or something that even Draymond Green has said, you know, it's it's kind of contradictory for players to
to want to play, then they have to sit out. But like guys like James Harden, who don't, right. they're forced to because teams want to keep him. Um, so kind of just what are your thoughts on what team could benefit from him the most and also just organizationals or organizational kind of like hypocrisy when when players want different things and organizations want different things as well. The the value of um, Drummond is, I think it's it's leveled. I think he he goes into uh, any team and makes an immediate impact front court backcourt. Yeah, and it was baffling me that they wanted to get rid of him, averaging seventeen points and averaging good boards. Um, uh, I don't know, maybe it's something along the lines they want to free up Caspi because he's he does have twenty seven mil on his head. So, like, I think it's, it's a business yeah. move, to, to be completely honest. Business move, free up some cap, cap space, get some younger guys or some, some – be able to move it because I think they want to build around Sexton. And um, Sexton has been playing great basketball. I, see, Wellington, remember, I was really high on, uh, on Sexton when he came out of Alabama. I don't know if you remember that. I was really high. I was like, that's my favorite pick out of all these guys. And you probably won't remember that. It's okay. You won't give my props. But overall, looking at the landscape of what Drummond's, you know, future future destinations could be, and 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 just this is obviously a, a big thing coming up with the trade trade uh, the trade deadline on March twenty fifth, and um, what are, are some possible moves from him? W- what do you think could be the best fit? And also, um, just the center position, it's a it's a changing type of landscape, and this is not always this hasn't always been the the clearest um, type of position as three-point percentages and perimeter play has been leveled up. Um, but just kind of like, what are your thoughts on the best move for him and just the situation he's in currently with the Cavs? We've seen a situation before with other players um, where where players are only allowed to do certain things, just play basketball and don't worry about the business side of things. And when players want to, you know, start moving like GMs move, or organizations move, then it's frowned upon. And like the Cav- co- the Cavaliers uh, coach said, players entitled to opinions over decision to bench uh, Andre Drummond. Oh, players are entitled to their opinions. Okay, <laughs> but it seems like the organization's opinions yeah. are, you know, you know, way more than the players' opinion. Because if the players didn't play, you guys wouldn't have anything going on. <laughs> so, but I think mm-hmm. landing spots. Yeah. I, I I thought about the Knicks, but the Wizards. I don't know if they're able to trade for him because I know Bradley Bill is uh, <laughs> is looking for help. <laughs> Russ is over there. I mean, maybe that's the spark they need. <laughs> maybe they, he's looking for help. And I know after this year, like his contracts, I'd be like, man, I don't know if I want to stay with y'all or not. So maybe this move will entice him and stay okay. Now we got a, a, a consistent big man that'll give me 17 points a night and probably like, you know, five or six, you know, Blocks, you know, give me some boards, help on the front court, back court. So I think Wizards will be a good destination for him, you know, and who doesn't love DC? So it'll be a good spot. I mean, it's a lot of stuff to do in DC. <laughs> he's been everywhere. He's been what in Detroit. He's been in Cleveland. Yeah. He's been he's in, been around. Uh, some some other <laughs> yeah, he's been around. <laughs> what Tupac say, I get around. Um <laughs> I get around. So I mean I <laughs> I think that'll be uh, a good landing spot for him. Or the Nets. I mean, I don't know. if I don't think the Nets need him. I don't think. You think he fits with the Nets? I, I don't I don't think so. I, I really don't see it because it's just, it's one of those things where Brooklyn, they're not looking for like a major star. They're looking for just kind of like 
a guy who can fit in and still be a supporting cast type of big, not like a another headlining star because they already have enough headlining stars as it is. And DeAndre right. Jordan maybe not be the the right guy to to constantly depend on as like he's not the same play, player that he once was. Still a, a, a decent big, but I think for them it's not going to be like a a headlining type of move, just kind of like a supporting cast type of move. Right. Yeah. I mean, Drummond is not like a big time star, anyways. But you know, I think he fits. I don't think he'll fit yeah. in that system. Having, I mean, it would look like you know, back in the day lineup when you had three great <laughs> uh, point point guard, shooter guard, small mm. four, and then you had two great big men, good big men, like the Spurs, like Lakers, like any other team back in that day. It was well, like you know, spread out with the talent. Yeah, I would, I would love to see it, but I think he yeah, fits absolutely. better with the. Um, with the Wizards, come on, Bradley Bill, <laughs> help Bradley Bill out because that man is struggling. Help him out. Help, help needs to be on the way. <laughs> <laughs> like immediately, like <laughs> immediately. Yeah, absolutely. But but real quick, man. No love for Damian Lillard. Skill, skill, still left out of the the West All Star starters. It's Luke. They put Luke over him. I mean, do you have any any quick thoughts on on skill? No love for Damian Lillard. Like, what does he have to do? <laughs> Wait, what does he have to do to convince people that, that he's he's one of the best elite cards in the West, man? I don't know. It's like one of those guys that just slept on. And he's proven. He doesn't have to do anything. He's proven himself game in and game out yeah. that he's an elite. I thought you would like that because you're a big Luka fan. Oh, yeah. You know me. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I know I know the, the, the outcry has been like, where is the love for Damian Lillard? I mean, I, I'm, I think Luka can be, you know, the next the next of the league, but still, I would still put Lillard over over Luke in this in this All Star draft. I don't. I mean, I don't. He don't have to do anything else. I think he's proven himself time in and time out. It's just, uh, I don't know what what's the process of picking these. Like, I don't know. I guess the Luka, criteria. The criteria is always just jaded. Uh, what Isaiah Thomas said, I've met the criteria. <laughs> but I still wasn't. <laughs> I, I mean, you can use that for anything. Debbie you can use, that, use that for relationships. Anything. I met the criteria. I met the criteria. I guess she said, she didn't want no. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, Damian Lillard, he meets the criteria. I don't know. Maybe it's just like ticket sales. You know, Luca is is a hot commodity yeah. right now. So let's start. A commodity. Luka, you know, um, but yeah. he doesn't have to do anything else. I mean, he's proven himself. This is just, pol- no, I guess you could say politics. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with our one night of Miami review. Welcome back to the show. And now we're getting into our one night in Miami review. And to start with the overview, One Night in Miami is a 2020 American um, drama film about a fictionalized, fictionalized meeting of Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke in a room at the Hampton House in February 1964, celebrating Ali's surprise title win over Sonny Liston, it is the first feature directed by Regina King from a, um, a screenplay by Kent Powers based on his stage play of the same name. The film was about, um, uh, also the, this, the cast is includes Kingsley Benadir, Ellie Gorey, Aldous Hodge, and Leslie Odom Jr. in the lead roles with Lance Reddick, um, Joaquina uh, Kalankoa, Cal- uh, and a, Nic- Nicolette Robinson and Boy Bridges in supporting roles. It had a budget of $16.9 million and a 98% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And you know, obviously, Re- Regina King stepping out in this d- directorial d- debut was obviously um, 
a big element highlighted in the reception of this film and capturing four black icons to reconcile their private lives um, with their public spheres, which is captured masterfully. But kind of like, what were your initial thoughts um, of this film? I wish this was real. (laughs) Yeah, yo, that that was my first thought, bro. I was like, because most of these guys were friends back then, but you know, you just, Mm -hmm. maybe those moments did happen. You just think about it, but just having those four icons from my community, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, like, you know, Sam Cooke. It's Landon, like thinking, Malcolm it's like thinking, like, yeah. it's almost like thinking today, who would those four guys be? <laughs> it's like, if we, if we right, put together, like, exactly. four of the biggest, star, biggest, like, black male icons today, like, who would that be? <laughs> and, you know, it's crazy. I don't have an answer. Like, I can't even think of, like, who that would it be? Like, Jamie Foxx or something? Like, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. But yo, this, yeah, I was, before I even watched, I was watching the trailer and I was like, before I even knew it was, it was like a fictional type thing, I was like, yo, that's dope. Somebody finally made like a movie about their friendship. Like, yeah, because we always know yeah. like Amy, Muhammad and Ali, we see the friendship of Malcolm X and what's common. We see Sam Cooke at the hotel uh, periodically and they meet or whatever. So you're just thinking like, yo, maybe this is true, but um, until I read it. And then it's so big for Regina King who's literally a living legend um, as, a, as an actor and as a, as a future, you know, saying I'm going to be a living legend as a director. So I was really um, psyched up about this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to our first topic from one to four stars, um, what would you give it? Um, I gave it four as the acting here was just remarkable and it really allowed us to see these men just beyond history um, how, beyond how history has written them and then something more relatably human, we really see the real core side of them and just how they are behind the ring, behind behind the mic, behind just any, behind the, you know, uh, uh, just playing uh, football and Jim Brown, just a high profile athlete behind whatever they their elite professions were. We really saw like the core side of them. Um, but to you from, from one to four stars, what would you give it? Definitely four stars. Uh, to piggyback <clears throat> what you were saying, excuse me, uh, just to see these, see their, not even characters, but see their lives, like, um, with a, with a, you know, with a magnifying glass and see who these people really are, because we glorify them because of the sports or the things, their entertainment they do. But they're so, you know, they have, they have these personas as those football players, as a boxer, as a singer, as a, you know, mm-hmm. um, an activist for the black community, but they have individual lives, individual personalities, and you want to see more of that. It's, it's, it's kind of like um, unveiling a, a character in a book that, you know what I'm saying, just in gradually just in, uh, unveiling the character. But to see um, this fictional fictional side of friendship was really dope to see. And you just imagine what if this was, and what if Sam Cooke would have, you know, would uh would never you know never got killed at the early age or you know Jim Brown would it's just so many like what ifs or whatever so this this film kind of made my what if um thinking tank kind of like fill up a little bit um but now transitioning to favorite character um f- for me I had Sam Cooke you know he was just incredibly affecting and how the character was immersed um and was brilliant plus you know infusing his music with emotion and, and just he was the main opponent at the hotel meeting against Malcolm X and held on held on to his viewpoints despite just the combativeness he faced that night with some of the arguments. Um, but so you kind of like overall, who was your favorite character in this one? 
Malcolm X, man. <clears throat> Malcolm yeah. X made so much sense that the impact everyone ha could have if they were just on the same page. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Malcolm X made sense. But I think Sam Cooke was more in, he was just wanted to be a singer. Mm -hmm. And that's all he wanted to do. He didn't want to be that type of figure. But Malcolm X, like, you can do so much more with your platform. That was the biggest thing. That's what... <sighs> Malcolm X, I think, is low-key happy because more, more Black players or, or people that are in the entertainment business are using their platform more for, you know, a better purpose just for, you know, whatever their career is. But I think Malcolm X was definitely my favorite character. I'm a big fan of Malcolm X. And that's the, they their contrasting worldviews is like kind of like what we see today. Cause like some artists, they want to be social. They, they I mean, they want to be conscious. They want to talk about the things that are actually like going on in society. And then others, they just would rather talk about what they prefer to talk about and just stay in the lane that they're in. And that's, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just with Malcolm X, he yeah. was just like, he was, he was saying like, yo, you're, <laughs> this is deep, man. Like he was, he was playing some of his songs and was just throwing shade at him. Like, wow. Like never heard that one before. It, it, it was funny because you see that today. Cause like, they're just, there's a contrast. And I thought like, even back then, what we see today, just kind of like it highlighted what we can sometimes see in the inter entertainment industry. For sure, for sure. And I like how you uh, you said whatever they want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I'm just not how I feel about it. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that was a good, good, good catch, Wellington. But no, it's definitely true because I hate to to put J Cole as the number one because he doesn't feel like he's doing enough. But he he talks about the, he talks about things that no one else want to talk about. Yeah. Um, it's some other artists, but I just can't think of them right now. But J. Cole right. is like the front runner I think about. And you got artists like Little Yachty, man, who just wants to do music, who doesn't care about all the other stuff. So it's just like you it definitely just wants to entertain yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. Just want to entertain you, just want to do music. Um yeah. yeah, but you know, other people have, you know, a different agenda, different priorities. They they want to use a platform for uh for our community. So uh, it's definitely the same thing till this day, and just how Sam Cook and I. It probably was true though. That's probably how he was. That's how it definitely. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, Barry. Uh, what's his last name though? The the singer that um, was with Cadillac um, oh. Records, um, who literally Watchcom stole from, and he won that lawsuit against him. I think the Beach Boys or something like that. Yeah, the Beach Boys. Um, yeah. Barry something. It was something. Yeah, it was something like that. Uh, Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry, Chuck that's Berry. his name, Chuck Berry. So Chuck Berry just wanted to do music and, um, you know, do his his other stuff. He didn't know what to use his platform. But yeah, I digress. Yeah, it's definitely the same thing. History repeats itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to most memorable scenes, um, I had uh, Sam, Sam Cooke's letdown at the Copacabana where, you know, there's a lot of expectation for him playing in front of um, an upper class, all white audience, and he doesn't deliver... As he as usually does in the past, and what he's known for. Um, also, in my own words, where all four men and iconic figures are on the rooftop, um, trying to take in the victory of Ali, and then Malcolm X delves into the personal issues he'd have been facing due to his out outspokenness. Um, chain gang, where Malcolm reminisces on and brings back up a memorable story from one of Sam Cooke's performances that could have been disappointing, but he turned it around to be an anthem. Um, and also, you know, the, the Malcolm X and Sam Cooke debate, where Malcolm 
you know, as we're talking about, criticizes Sam for not creating the kind of music that will more strongly support the cause. And finally, a change is going to come where Sam Cooke's um, legendary song finishes off the movie and each man going back to their separate fields is encapsulated through some success and also some struggles and painful challenges. You know, Savon, I forgot that Leslie Odom was singing that song. I thought it was Sam Cooke singing that song oh, when, when nah, they were just not showing him. I was just yeah, like, yo, this is Sam Cooke. <laughs> he can sing, bro. He's done this before. That's why I'm, I'm so glad she gave him the role because he did this song. He did a couple songs like this in like years, years in past. And then when I saw he got the role, I was like, yes, perfect. Yeah. Like he's the closest thing to Sam Cooke voice-wise range and all and i was like yo i'm so glad he got this role he did not disappoint obviously he was your favorite uh character wellington uh but my favorite scene was definitely the confrontation in the hotel when they were going malcolm x did not let up at all at all like you got to see the bigger picture brother like that was my favorite scene and then afterwards they wasn't like mad at each other they had the conversation but you're so you're you're good friends where you can have those tough conversations and have that's that what's narrative. necessary. Yes, that's exactly. what's necessary. Even if you ha- even after you have the heated comfort, heated heated just arguments, you can still be be you know go back to normal and respect each other's different op- different differing opinions. And that's what they were able to do. Even though they had vast opinions that were just you know very contrary, they still were able to expect each other at the end of it. Right, and that's the that's the biggest thing because a lot of especially in our community, we we burn a lot of bridges. Because of emotions or, or I don't like this person. We burn a lot of bridges. And this, it was, that's why I like to see you so much that me and my friends are the same way. We can have those tough conversations to come together. Like it's still love. You still my boy. Like, bro, this, it's just a conversation. And it have to trickle over and so, you know what I mean? So that, so right. that to see that on a screen with people that look like me um, was really dope. It was really dope scene. And I, I feel like I sided with Malcolm X a little more. That I did sell, but Malcolm did not get, he did not uh, give up, not give up, but you know, he didn't ease up at all. He, he could win any debate. Up. Yeah. He could win any debate. Of course. I mean, anybody. Sam should have just started singing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way he was going to win. That's the only way. That's the only way he's going to win. Just say, no, I'm just going to say, it was boy by the real. But now listening to most memorable quotes, um, uh, brother, you, you can move mountains without lifting a finger from Malcolm X. Yep. Um, we want a world where we're safe to be ourselves, to think like we want without having uh, to answer to anybody for it from Cassius Clay. Um, taking the world on your shoulders is bad for your health from Sam Cooke. Um, this movement that we are in is called the struggle because we were fighting for our lives from Malcolm X. And finally, your record is going to stand the test of time from Mr. Carlton. Um, but out of like just all the quotes, the vast quotes that, that we found in this one, kind of like which one um, just was the most memorable for you? Jim Brown quotes were just like spot on. That's mm-hmm. that's Jim Brown. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so glad he's still alive that he was like, okay, I, I said this. Uh, this how you know what I'm saying like this is what I yeah. would say. So the first one, like, this has been one strange effing night. That's that's Jim <laughs> Brown for sure. Y'all pulled out the knives, and if I get cut, I'm gonna hurt somebody. That's Jim Brown. I've heard yeah. stories from other celebrities like um. Uh, Bill Bellamy, when he when he was with uh, in a, in a given Sunday, how a young guy had a, he knocked him out because <laughs> he was talking <laughs> crap to the guy, and um, um, and him just asking Jamal like, "Say, man, do you have any regrets? You know, hitching your cart to uh, the Muslim train?" Just like because he at that point in real life, Jim Brown was like 
considered an activist. Right. Considered a, uh, he was a football player, uh, actor, activist. He was a whole nine, especially with the a couple cases. But um, but just him having us just and, and being authentic. And that it, I know this was like a fictional night, but this is exactly what Jim Brown would say. So I thought it was really dope. Those, I mean, those wasn't like big quotes, but I just thought like the the authenticity of it is just like really dope. Yo, and Ali's just like, yo, I'm 22. I'd be telling you, listen, why are we in the hotel just in Miami on a night in Miami just talking about societal issues? He's like, right. I'm trying to turn up. I'm trying to turn up. <laughs> you know what's funny? When he was jumping on and bouncing on the bed, and Jim yeah. Brown was like, what are you, a giant effing baby? <laughs> I was like, yo. Jim Brown man, stole so, the quota award. He stole the quota award. Boy, what? <laughs> it is so, it's, it's him. It's totally him. It is, I could just imagine that really like having it. And he'd be like, bro, Cassius, what are you doing, bro? Sit down. <laughs> 22 old boy, sit down. You're doing too much. I know you just won and all that stuff, but we, we have another, we get bigger issues in here. Bigger issues. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, that was dope. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, to, to me, just how it was a fresh insight into the interior nature of the lives of these great historical figures, and also just how it catered in, in ideological battle of, you know, if you're using the platform you have sufficiently for the cause, mm-hmm. and that was just constantly reiterated. Um, to you, like, what in particular did you like the most about the storyline? That right there, man. That yeah. use your platform. It takes one friend or one person. So you have a group of guys who are very successful at what they do. And they can change so many other lives. That's why he was like, you can you can change, do so much stuff without even lifting a finger. Mm-hmm. It takes one person to be like, yo, I see this. And like, yeah, we we all gotta see this because not it, we're on the same level. Malcolm X was 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 rising, was already rising. Jim Brown was already a freaking legend. He had records that weren't gonna be broken. And then you have Sam Cook, who's a freaking amazing singer, and you got Cassius Clay. Muhammad Ali, on top of the world, just beat Sonny Liston. It's so much stuff going on. These guys are on the same level. So it's not like somebody's carrying the other person. Yo, we can change so much. Why, why, won't, why won't we? Like, what's mm-hmm. stopping us from using our platform? That was, the, like, that was the biggest thing for me. It takes one person. And then they're so, the biggest friends, they're not going to all see the, the same perspective, but eventually they did. Yeah. We could be doing Absolutely. so much more. But yeah, I love that. I love that story, my man. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it, it's, it's just so crucial um, in today's and just into in the era of today. Um, also with Regina King, like this is her her starting off her director directing mm-hmm. career, you know, on a bang like this is just, you know, just very astounding is like, what else do you want to see from her? Like, do you want her just to, to continue in this type of route? Like, is there anything else that you feel as though she can possibly delve into as, you know, she really started off this type of career for her in such an, an exceptional fashion? You know what? I, I want I want a couple of things for Regina Keene as a producer and as a, you know, as a director. I want her to tell, continue to tell our story because no one can yeah. tell our story like someone who's lived it, right? Mm-hmm. So I want her to do that. I want her to continue like this right here. I know it's fictional, but no one has probably ever came to like, hey, they, this is, it was a real moment, but I know you see, like, you know, continue to tell our story and um and, and then continue to like to 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 find her different niche, like right. tell our story. She's a great actor. She's played in everything from 
uh, the sister-in-law to poetic <laughs> justice to a yeah. superhero. Like, I want you to be able to be like, do continue to do those things, but as well as tell our story. If, if that's the biggest thing, continue to tell our story because no yeah. one can tell our story like we can. Absolutely. Um, transitioning to our last topic, 10 years from now, do you still think this will be watchable and intriguing? Um, I definitely do as the memorable performance, obviously are, are, you know, everywhere thought provoking speeches and arguments will just live on as cinematic uh, representations correlated with larger than life figures. Um, to you, like what in particular do you think this, you know, will make this a watchable and intriguing film film as is, you know, extremely current. It's talking about four big icons. Mm -hmm. From different, from different, uh, in different sides of the entertainment world, and how they made an impact, and how all of them died. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, that was so. I mean, it's true. It is. But true. yeah, and they died before they could see the impact they had. Well, Muhammad yeah. Ali could, and Jim Brown, of course, but um, Malcolm X and, and Sam Cooke. Not everybody gets to see that. Not everybody gets to see that fruition. No, and, and not all people know about what really what they really accomplished at that early age. They were young. They were in Very their young. 20s, man. So well, how much they accomplished. Yeah, bro. How much they accomplished just to see, just to just to give you that imagery of how things would have took place if they were, you know what I mean? Just I don't know, just the four icons. They're they're legends, bro. Yeah. Mm. I mean, super. Yeah. I mean, I, a movie that we got to <laughs> talk about eventually, maybe next week or the week after Judas and the Black Messiah, Fred Hampton was only 21. Yes. I mean, it's just like <laughs> these guys, oh these guys, the impact they had. I mean, it's just, it's astounding. Like, like just, just to have that type of presence and, and, and just the speech that they would, the speeches that they would bring is just, you know, otherworldly. And they were fearless. Yeah. Especially Fred Hampton. Like he was fearless. I mean, he could have, Looked at his surroundings a little better, but um, mm -hmm. he was fearless, man. He was a leader. He's art he articulated in a different way. Oh no, okay, never mind. We're talking about when I we're like, gonna get yo, to that. Yes, <laughs> I think yes, we gotta get sir. to that next yes, week. <laughs> we have to, yeah. bro. Like that movie was so man, <sighs> showstopper, bro. Showstopper. Goodness. First five minutes, I was like, no, no the trailer, I'm the trailer. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh god. Daniel play his coming. butt off. And, the review uh, is coming. The review is coming. We're already getting yeah, ourselves like <laughs> Right. Yo, like, it's certain movies that get me there, bro. That's definitely one of them. That's, yeah, a, that's a part of our history. That's a part of our story. Yeah, man, definitely. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, William the Burns. I'm my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.